Well, hello, Kindred Church. Um, if you are new or visiting for the first time, I'm Lindsay. Nice to meet you. I'm thrilled that you are joining us tonight. Uh, in anticipation of Mother's Day coming up this Sunday, we're actually going to take a short departure from this chronological study of Exodus that we have been in just for one week to honor and celebrate Mother's Day as a community and as a church. I feel very tender about being the one to give tonight's message because I will be celebrating my very first Mother's Day this year. Uh, becoming a mother has only made me more in awe of all of these other moms that I know, and it is a privilege to share this space with you tonight. It is also an incredibly daunting task to speak on motherhood because the wide range of complicated emotions around this holiday are not lost on me. For some, it's dread. Dread knowing that Sunday is coming because the absence of what you long for or the babies that you have lost, it is brought into focus. And the trying and the tracking and the treatment, it feels just a little lonelier on a day dedicated to motherhood. For some, maybe it's disappointment or anxiety because the relationship with your mom or your kids is strained. Maybe this day brings up wounding or estrangement or unmet expectations. For others, it might be grief or sadness because you've lost your mom, but even that grief is not going to be identical for all of us. It might be the first year since she's passed, or it just might be that you have lost your mom in some way to sickness or dementia or distance. For some of us, it might be guilt because maybe you are in the trenches and the demands on your time and your attention and your capacity are never ending. And this new role still feels foreign and difficult. And on this day, dedicated to celebrating, you really don't feel celebratory, but you feel exhausted and resentful. Others of us might feel gratitude, warmth, and love as we think about the mothers in our life and those who have mothered us in some way. We think about their legacy of devotion and sacrifice, their safety and their friendship, and we feel a sense of delight as we think about the belonging that they created for us. I say it's a daunting task because I couldn't possibly speak to the full scope of motherhood represented in just this room alone. And I have surely left someone out, even in my attempt. And I want you to know that it is with great sensitivity and sincerity that I recognize not everyone's Mother's Day is the same. I also don't stand before you today as an expert. I have not mastered this, not even close. My child can't even put food in his own mouth. And I spent half the day on Sunday with my pants inside out, just to give you a sense of like how far from killing it I am. Um, there is a lot I still don't know, a lot that I am learning and I'm still figuring out. But if I do know one thing for sure, it's that motherhood is not one dimensional. No woman's story, experience and journey into and around motherhood is the same as the woman sitting next to her. There is a lot of nuance, complexity, and layers to it all. 
As a new mom, especially in those first few months, the question I was most commonly asked was, so how's it going? Right? And I think what people were usually getting at was, how are you adjusting to this major identity shift? And also, are you sleeping and like, are you ready to kill your husband? Right? I think they're being kind and asking. But it always felt like an impossible question for me to answer honestly, because what I found true about motherhood was that it felt difficult to express. It felt paradoxical. It feels like all of these opposing extremes somehow exist all at once within myself. Grateful that my body carried and delivered a healthy baby and also wishing that it would hurry up and heal and then move with the same strength that it used to. Caring for a newborn meant that I was literally never alone, not for one second, but I was more isolated and withdrawn from work and school and these other relationships. It's really intense joy and big, big fear. Celebrating the addition of this new life and also mourning the life that we built just the two of us. It's delight and disorienting. It's knowing I'm right where I'm supposed to be and also wishing that I could be somewhere else, preferably not covered in spoiled milk. All of this complexity, it felt difficult to articulate and to comprehend. And so I struggled to try and describe this whole new reality. And then I was frustrated by the way that I couldn't adequately represent this paradox of emotion and extremes, but I also desperately wanted to be understood. And so I don't wanna offer you just another script that doesn't acknowledge your unique path. I don't wanna contribute to the alienation we feel when we don't see our lived reality in these very limiting definitions for women and for motherhood. And I really don't believe that more advice is what moms are looking to hear on Mother's Day, especially when it's unsolicited. We get enough of that. Instead, I wanna share with you the way motherhood has illuminated dimensions of God's character that have always been there, but that I have just now come to understand more deeply. The way God purposefully chose maternal images and pictures and metaphors to describe and reveal God's own posture and love for us and how healthy expressions of motherhood can provide us a window into God's own heart, enriching our own connection and relationship with God, no matter who you are, whether you are a mom or not, whether you want to be a mom or whether you don't. Now, I want to speak well of God. And language is a powerful thing. I believe words matter and how we talk about God matters. And I also wanna acknowledge and address some of the unease you might be feeling about exploring this dimension of God's character. Because it's likely that even if you don't consider yourself a Christian, or faith is something you've only just begun to discover and figure out, you have probably heard of or are familiar with the idea of God being a father. And so if that's true, which I believe it is, how could it be then that God is also maternal? And maybe you're thinking, Lindsay, this doesn't make any sense. And now I'm just confused. Or maybe what tradition has taught you makes you wonder if I just have this all wrong. 
So let's begin with where we got the idea that God is a father. It's repeated throughout the Bible, but the first time it shows up is in a piece of scripture that captures God's own words about God. So God is talking to Moses, a character that we know well, if you've been tracking with us through our Exodus study. Moses is nearing the end of his life and the end of his tenure as Israel's leader, and God gives him these words. They're actually song lyrics with the instruction that he is to then write them down and then teach them to pass them on to the people of Israel, to the next generation. It's called the Song of Moses, and it's a record of God's own words, God's chosen language and imagery from the very voice of God about who God is and how God specifically wanted to be remembered. It reads, isn't he God, your father, who created you? So the first time that God is referred to as a father in the Bible, God is describing himself. So these are his own words for who he is. It is the title and the name and the position that he gives himself. So God reveals himself to us as a father. So he is where we got the idea. He set the terms. And so we continue to acknowledge God as a father because this is how he chose to reveal himself to us. This is how he seeks to be known and related to and revered. And so we accept God on his own terms. Though here's what's interesting. If we continue reading in Deuteronomy 32, where God is downloading his character to Moses in this song, we'll find that these aren't the only terms that God used to describe and reveal himself, but that God chose three uniquely feminine and maternal images and metaphors to describe the care and comfort and the creative power of God. So first, God is likened to an eagle caring for her chicks. This is Deuteronomy 32. We're down in verse 10 and 11 now. It reads, he found them in a desert land, in an empty howling wasteland. He surrounded them and watched over them. He guarded them as he would guard his own eyes. Like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young, so he spread his wings to take them up and carried them safely on his pinions. And so this verse pictures the way a mother eagle teaches her young to fly. She does this by pushing her chicks out of the nest, not knowing how to fly yet, not knowing how to use their wings. The babies begin to fall right, towards their inevitable demise if she does nothing. And so she rescues them. The mother eagle hovers nearby, and after enough time in the air, she swoops in and she carries them back to safety, back to the nest on her wings. We have seen God do this for Israel time and time again throughout their exodus from Egypt. When it was time to leave and make their way into the wilderness and through the unknown, God hovered nearby hovered in a pillar of cloud by the day and a pillar of fire at night. God did not abandon them to the desolation of the wilderness, but remained close by, close by to intervene 
every time they fell into danger, splitting the sea and rescuing them from the Egyptian army, providing manna, this bread from heaven, when they complained that there was nothing to eat. Like a mother eagle swooping in to save her young, the stories that we have seen in Exodus, they tell of the way God has not left Israel to fend for themselves, but God remains in their midst and time and time again swoops in to rescue Israel out of enslavement, out of desperation, out of thirst and hunger and these patterns of sin that they continue to get stuck in. Shortly after this, God then uses the comparison of a breastfeeding mom. Verse 13 reads, he nourished them with honey from the rock and olive oil from the stony ground. So the word used here for nourished, it literally translates to nurse or to give milk. The word is very straightforward in its meaning and its connotation. This isn't a word used in a variety of contexts like some other Hebrew words are. And so to put it plainly, it means to breastfeed a baby. So God is intentionally drawing on a distinctly maternal image, distinctly maternal language here to describe his relationship with Israel, holding up and exalting this unique relationship between a mom and her baby to characterize God's own care and God's own provision of us. God self-identifies with mothering. We find this same imagery, it's echoed in the book of Isaiah, but just this time we're given a little more detail. And so the prophet Isaiah writes, yet Jerusalem, which is God's people, says the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. As a nursing mom, my recent lived experience brings this verse to life in a very vivid way. I took my first trip away from my son back in March to go to Chicago for a week of in-person learning uh, as a part of my graduate school program. My son was only seven months at the time and still nursing. And so I wanna give you just a very small glimpse into what it took to make this happen. Uh, the amount of extra crap I had to pack with me was ridiculous. My hospital grade pump, a cooler, two thermoses, extra pump parts, and a traveling cleaning kit just to keep all of those parts sanitized. And then while I was in class for nine hours a day all week, it meant doing the mental math trying to time out my pump breaks around our 10 minute bathroom breaks and our lunch breaks. And then it meant bringing a cooler with me so that I can make sure that what I pumped didn't go bad before I could get home and put it in the fridge at the Airbnb. Right? It required drinking a certain amount of water every day and watching how many Starbucks trips we made despite needing the caffeine to make it through this intellectually grueling week. And then not forgetting to eat breakfast in the morning because I was rushed or forgetting to pack snacks because if I don't stay hydrated and if I don't eat well enough, that means that I would drop in my supply and then I wouldn't be able to continue to feed my son. And then at night when I was tired and I was ready to go to bed, 
I couldn't just walk myself upstairs and get in bed without making sure that I first sanitized all of those pump parts that I used that day so that they would be dry and ready for the next day. And then it meant one more session with my eyes half open, so tired from the day, one more trip back downstairs to put it in the fridge. And then finally I could go to bed. And even if I did get distracted by lecture or by a conversation I was in with some of my cohort, or I just lost track of time, my body would eventually physically remind me of my nursing baby, that I skipped a session. And it was painful and uncomfortable and rather vulnerable. And did I choose all of that? Yes, yes. Are there other viable and legitimate means of feeding your child? that require much less logistical nightmare. Yes, absolutely. My point is not to elevate one means of feeding your child over another. That is a landmine I do not want to step on. <laughs> my point, my point is that even miles away from my son, could I forget my nursing baby? No, of course not. Every decision was being navigated and worked out with him in mind with his good and his safety and his needs within my view. Though here's what this experience also illuminated for me. For Sawyer, my son, it may have felt like for him that I had forgotten him because I wasn't there to pick him up, to respond to his cries, to soothe him and rock him and nurse him back to comfort and contentment. So he very well may have felt like his perspective was, she left me. He was experiencing my distance that way. And while that may have felt true for him, something else was also true. That I was orchestrating and working and managing all of these small decisions and choices to maintain our nursing relationship, even when I was far away from him. And isn't this what we accuse God of all the time? God, you've forgotten me. You have abandoned me. You have neglected me. Or at the very least, God, you're just indifferent to me. And it absolutely may feel that way from our perspective, our circumstance, our loss, our suffering. It would make us believe that God has deserted us. Although at the very same time, it is also true that God is moving and orchestrating and deciding and prioritizing our good and our needs and our survival. The way a nursing mom might provide for her dependent and needy newborn. I appreciate that this verse from Isaiah, that it also considers that while most of us would agree, of course, a nursing mom wouldn't forget about her baby. That's not a universal experience. Maybe your history or the children that you parent and raise would answer that question very differently. Maybe it is fathomable to them that a mother would neglect her child or the love for her child might be overshadowed by addiction or trauma or pathology or systems and patterns of brokenness. 
And so Isaiah writes, even if that were possible, which many of us know that it is, he writes, I, God, would not forget you. God is working for your good. God agonizes over you, longs to know that you are safe and healthy and flourishing the same way a nursing mom feels connected to and responsible for the health and survival and well-being of her baby. Lastly, God self-identifies with motherhood in birth. The song of Moses reads, you forgot the God who had given birth, or had given you birth. So the verb used here for birth carries connotations of a very painful delivery. So this signifies the way God labored over the nation of Israel, the way God brought them into existence, journeying with them the whole way. And so God here again chooses to couple this declaration as the father who created them with this distinctly feminine analogy of childbirth. And in doing so, God is dignifying and exalting and giving value to motherhood, despite what culture or history or our own stories around motherhood might be. And so what is God ultimately communicating here in the Song of Moses? While yes, God reveals himself as a father. That declaration is followed up by not just one, but three exclusively feminine and maternal metaphors. In God's own words, in God's own decisive voice, God is portrayed as a mother eagle, a nursing mom, and a woman in childbirth. To ignore or to reject these three images or metaphors, that is then to miss out on the fullness and the richness and the depth of God's love for us. Embracing this dimension of the creator, it gives us new insight into that creator's provision and care and comfort and it invites us into greater intimacy and greater connection with God. God's own identification with these maternal images only serves to further dignify the role and responsibility of mothers everywhere. We are empowered to then understand our own mothering as a reflection of God's love, demonstrating and mirroring the way God would also hover to a degree, soothe, respond, nurture and sustain us. It reminds us that motherhood is sacred because in its best and healthiest expression, it is a window. It is a glimpse into God's very own heart. Understanding that God's love is also maternal, it frees me up to depend on God in new ways, to think of him and experience God in new ways. To think of God as leading me in new lessons, discerning when I'm ready, and then pushing me out of the nest knowing that when I get too close to danger, I can count on rescue. I can count on the shelter of those wings. 
It gives me freedom to think of myself like that newborn baby, still needy and dependent and helpless to try to make it through just one day on my own. And so I cry and I scream and I yell and I communicate when I need help and when I'm feeling empty. And then I think about the way God would pull me in close by tracing my face with his vision, filling me back up again. It gives me freedom to think of the ways I am limited in my own mothering, to remember that God is not confined by the limitations I experience, but that in God, wisdom and discernment and perseverance and comfort, they are never ending and they are readily available to me. God does not grow tired or exasperated or annoyed by my dependence on him, the way I do sometimes grow that way of my own child. But God is always gracious and always gentle and always inviting us in closer. And so kindred, happy Mother's Day to all of you who mother in every capacity. We celebrate you and we honor you and we lift you up as reflections of God's very own character and God's love for us. So Kendra, would you stand? Would you pray with me? And we're gonna continue to sing. God, God, thank you for your words, your voice. God, language that you chose to reveal who you are. God, I'm thankful that you choose to know us, that you choose to share yourself with us, that you would reveal yourself in this way to us. God, I'm thankful that you are a father, that those were the terms you set for yourself, God, and that comes with so much comfort and strength and provision. And God, I am so grateful that you also chose to include these uniquely and specifically and exclusively maternal and feminine metaphors. God, expanding the way we understand you, transforming the way we experience you, drawing us closer and nearer to you. So God, I pray on this Mother's Day that we would feel more inclined to lean in close to your comfort, to your care, to your gentle provision, to your wings, and to your fierce protection of us. Jesus, we love you and we need you. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.